You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry, with New Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clenergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, developing smart solar software you can trust for homes, businesses and solar retailers right here in Australia. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Solar Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy along with One Step Off The Grid and our EV website, thedriven.io. And joining me as usual is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, how are you? And apologies for not giving you a job title. <laughs> that's okay. I don't need a title. Old guy. Old cranky guy. That's old cranky problem. guy from Solar Analytics. Old that's cranky. Right. Cranky old solar veteran. Yes. <laughs> no, it's great to be back again. There's uh, well, tons going on, as usual. Look, tons I just going think on. that uh, I think the solar, rooftop solar, is just going to be the centre of everything um, pretty soon. Um, certainly, it's just changing so much around the grid, um, as we will very shortly discuss. And this sort of transition from kind of stamping on it to this sort of new thing of, oh, let's actually use it and let's use it for, you know, what it can be really useful for um, is kind of um, a bit of a force a bit of good. It's, it's a force of good now. Well, that's what they recognise, and it just doesn't have to be a challenge, although it has claimed a major victim. Well, look, first of all, let's get things in, in, in the right order. Um, what we didn't have last time was a whole bunch of stats. Um, so we've got it from Son- Sunwiz, one of the sponsors of this podcast. Um, Warwick's numbers showed 285 megawatts for February, which is pretty amazing because nice. February was a short month. Mm. Uh, it was the highest month ever apart from... Um, Apart from one other month, I can't remember now. Was it December last year? Probably. But it, it basically means um, that the market is about 30% ahead of where it was this time last year. So if that continues over the year, and who's to tell us it won't, uh, we're heading for three gigawatts for the year. Minimum. 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 Um, yeah. And and look, I've been talking to some of the regulators recently and a couple of other people, and they're all... Um, you know, um, excited, crap in their pants, can't decide. Um, but it's it's going off. It's going off, and everyone's expecting it to be a really, really bull year. So, um, you know, the, the, and and I, uh, anecdotally, um, a couple of major wholesalers that are out there in the market. Um, in fact, two or three, I think three companies I've spoken to now said February twenty twenty one biggest month we've ever had in the history of the company. So, yeah, it's going off. It's going off. Well, it is. In fact, I should correct my figure. It should be 3.5 gigawatts. And um, so big, in fact, um, it's, it's, um, it's taking, it's starting well. I've always said that one extra kilowatt hour from each solar panel is one kilowatt hour less than you're going to get out of a coal-fired power station or a fossil fuel generator. And look, we've seen Yalorn go out, um, planning to go out, um, bringing forward its... Uh, its closure and mm. uh, to 2028 and that's really largely because well one it's old crappy and really polluting and dirty but also because it can't cope with rooftop solar and the ramping that's now required during the middle of the day so it's gone out um backwards um we're not quite backwards because you, the closure was brought forward but you could probably argue that it's actually staying around a bit longer than it might have otherwise and it seems to have struck some sort of deal with the victorian government to sort of provide a minimum payment which 
I'm a bit worried about one because we don't know the details of this, and two, it just sounds like a bit of a sort of a backward subsidy, uh, well, not a backward subsidy, just a subsidy to keep it open for another two years, move the closure a bit away from the um, the election that's due to be held in the year that it might have closed, 2026. So that's kind of interesting, but it just shows that these coal plants are under pressure, and it's from the um, it's from the um, it's from the influence of rooftop solar. Hey, mate, one thing that we haven't got on our list, I'm just going to throw a wild card to you, is um, AGL marching. Here we go. AGL marching back into rooftop solar. Um, I don't know why. I don't know how that escaped your list, actually. I don't know what the hell you've been doing. Tonight. You're quite right. That was very worthy. That was very worthy. They made a couple of acquisitions, didn't they? And I have to say, the the you know um try and make myself sound like a you know sophisticated guy m and a uh, mergers and acquisitions mate there's plenty going on there's plenty going on there's yeah. there's a lot of activity in the market and um agl made made two acquisitions that were quite notable well efo group so congratulations to oliver hartley for setting that up in back what was it 2014 yeah um and um um, so that's got snapped up, um, which is which is pretty amazing. And then, um, so not and and not just Efo, um, Oliver Hartley's mob. Um, it's also bought Solgen. So um, that's a pretty big player. Um, so those are two of the big commercial players in the market. Um, that sort of probably propels AGL to um, to the top position in that space. But it's kind of interesting. You've seen Origin come in with their little EV. Um, they've got a little electric vehicle play with um, with um, one of the big um, car leasing firms. So they're, they're going back in big into behind the meter. So, you know, you see coal. So there's a theme happening here, Nigel. We've got coal generators going out of the market and we've got all the big players trying to get in behind the meter through rooftop solar, through battery storage or electric vehicles. So pretty interesting yeah. stuff. Yeah, and, and, and interesting to see how, I mean, Origin and AGL have been in and out of the market for many, 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 many years, um, trying all sorts of different plays. And it's interesting to see, you know, the two big the two big uh, retailers. And I've had conversations about this for the better part of 20 years about, oh, what happens if, you know, the big retailers get into the space? We'll all be dead. Well, we're not dead. We're still, we're all still here. You're all still out there. You're all still listening, hopefully. And, um, but, you know, there is room for these big players and Origin certainly are dominating in the residential space. They, their numbers are enormous and they're, they're very, very targeted on that residential space and indeed have exited some of their previous acquisitions uh, around the around uh, the, the downstream stuff. Um, but AGL has kind of, you know, recently made a, a bit more towards a, a commercial bias on their play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's really, really interesting to watch. I think, you know, the more players we have in the market, the more diversity we have, the more the big players are in the market and, and sort of acknowledging that they've got to have a play in the market, mm-hmm. um, the better it is for the market overall. So, you know, yeah, really, really interesting to see what pans out of that. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, it will be. And, look, just getting back to our sort of theme at the start of this podcast, which is about how sort of, you know, central um, and important solar will become. So we've seen a um, mainstream press sort of um, got tucked into the solar export story, which I think we canvassed last time, in which um, Renew Economy and One Step Off the Grid had written about um, these, these sort of solar exports. You know, it's a pretty sort of arbitrary sort of thing and people complaining about it and some of the, a lot of the installers around in Victoria especially sort of coming up and sort of finding, you know, all of a sudden, you know, limited to, well, quite often down to zero or... Zero. 
three kilowatts or five kilowatts or whatever, even with bigger systems. But on the flip side of that, we've seen the very first deployment in this last couple of days, in fact, last Sunday in South Australia of this new protocol, which actually allows the market operator to instruct local network operators to switch off a certain amount of rooftop solar. And this came history in. The, history in the making. History so, in the making. Well, it is. I it, love it. It's, it's, it's an interesting one. And basically what happens, really? so about 2,000 households had their solar switched off. Most of them probably didn't even know unless they happened to be glued to their um, solar analytics um, uh, monitoring device at the time, um, in which case well, they might have been wondering what the hell's going on here. But um, so basically they just did that because what was happening on Sunday, the interconnector was being repaired from that big storm that tore it down um, a year ago. So there was limitations on how much could be sort of fed into and out of the market to Victoria and stuff like that. Um, on Friday, that got a bit, how did you do? Because um, there was a fire in the Torrance gas station and so half the gas generation went out and actually had a reasonably high demand and solar died in the evening and the wind wasn't doing much. So that just turned on a few um, diesel generators, which made the prices look a bit ordinary. Um, about $15,000 a megawatt hour. But on Sunday, they had the reverse thing where they had too much supply nowhere to export it and rooftop solar was providing most of the demand to the extent that it actually came down to less than 400 megawatts which made AEMO very uncomfortable because they wanted to have more to play with considering that they had half the um, link um, um, down for repairs so they instructed the network to get rid of about 50 or 60 megawatts of rooftop solar which they did 10 yeah. megawatts through this solar um, smarter homes thing that we've um, that we've talked Talk about, about which solar analytics is very much engaged in you can tell us more about that when I stop talking and um, and also through their voltage management thing it's the first time they deployed either of those things are so quite interesting Nigel <laughs> You summed it up really nicely. I mean, what what is what is groundbreaking in history making here is the switch from seeing solar as a problem to going, hang on, solar is not a problem. Solar actually can can actually support the network when it's delivering energy when we need it, and we don't have it coming from somewhere else because we've got an interconnector down, or we've got a bloody gas fired generator that's caught fire, or whatever it may be, you know, solar can make, and, and wind, uh, can make a material contribution. Of course, it's variable. Um, it's not guaranteed, but, you know, nothing in life is guaranteed. An interconnector isn't guaranteed. Uh, a, a gas fired generator, uh, or, a, you know, lack of a fire isn't guaranteed. Things aren't guaranteed. Um, but the critical thing here is that, as a world first, this centralised orchestration of all of these assets through um, uh, through AEMO uh, was deployed. And, you know, I remember when South Australian Smarter Homes um, announcements were made and, and uh, in September last year, and we talked about that a lot, and there was a bit of speculation, oh, this might never happen. Well, guess what? Just happened. Just happened. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, it, not only did it help stabilise the grid, um, which provided a benefit for everybody in South Australia and, and beyond by helping to stabilise uh, energy supply. Um, but, um, you know, it, it used solar assets, distributed solar assets right down to the household level um, as, as a mechanism, which, was, which is just unprecedented. It's so cool. It's so cool. 
And um, so come this spring, um, the forecast is, is that um, yeah, everything else being equal, the amount of new rooftop solar coming into the um, South Australian grid um, and the extra generation that comes from that means that um, in this coming spring, you might get down to zero demand. Um, um, that's sort of grid demand because all the demand will be met by rooftop solar. So it's going to be interesting to see how that's played out then. So you can probably expect more sort of interventions and sort of, you know, sort of um, rooftop solar um, systems sort of shut down. Now, all of the new systems that have been added since the end of September um, have to conform to this new sort of um, um, protocol yep. and standards. So we'll, pro we'll probably... I mean, they're putting. We'll probably see about two hundred, two hundred megawatts by by springtime, um, which is going to be an extra thing in their armory. And then by the end of the year, those standards will probably be rolled out elsewhere in the country. So we'll probably be seeing that same sort of thing being deployed when needed in other states. And I think Queensland's possibly the next one, Western Australia, because they're an isolated grid with a lot of rooftop solar, and even Victoria, particularly as it sort of starts to deal more vigorously with its ramping issues of those coal-fired generators and, and the fact right. that it's installing so much more solar. So, yeah. Yeah, Victoria seems like a logical place for it to apply quickly, but um, I'm hearing the same thing that uh, uh, Queensland and, and WA are possibly going to move going to move even faster, um, and 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 I can't wait. In fact, because the next stage in South Australia, which is really where we get smart. Uh, is due in only a few months' time, which is the dynamic export control. Um, at the moment, and, and, you know, what happened in South Australia, basically they turned off 70 megawatts of solar and they just went bang and switched it off. It wasn't quite like that, but, you know, ostensibly they just switched it all off because that's all they could do, which is a very crude mechanism. From July 1, where if, if everything goes according to plan, um, the new regulations are going to come, come into force, which require dynamic export control. And that's where I'm really excited to get to, because then what we can do is allow solar to produce to follow the load. So if you happen to have load or can institute load um, or, you know, your hot water system happens to be on or you can run your air conditioner or whatever else, then you can use that solar energy that you've invested your money in. You know, on Sunday, that costs the market about $7,000 in lost exports, plus or minus. Uh, and that's at a very conservative 10 cents a kilowatt hour. So, you know, there was some lost revenue for solar owners there. And, you know, we have to get to the next stage now of getting beyond the blunt instrument of just switching it off and uh, 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 switching it on or off bluntly, we need to get to this dynamic stuff, which is forecast to happen in July. And that's going to get really cool because then the consumers and the investors who've made these investments, I, I visited a solar plant. I think I talked about it going to Port Augusta a couple of years ago and visiting some of the solar plants up around there and going, wow, people are putting their own money in, whacking big solar plants in and playing the market. And those guys wouldn't have been very happy on the weekend. They weren't able to, uh, to uh, export. And so they were just losing revenue. So, you know, mm. dynamic export control is the next step that um, is really going to make this cool. It's going to protect the interest of solar consumers as well, which is really, really important. Could make for some interesting conversations to households. You know, someone says, did you put the telly on? No, I didn't put the telly on. Who put the telly on? Oh, it must be my emo. <laughs> <laughs> and they put the air bloody and the air con on and the bloody, you know, and the, and the washing machine. Yeah, why is everything on? <laughs> Anyway, um, that's probably a good prompt to get a message from one of our sponsors. SunWiz are Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's new partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by a world-leading solar software platform.
With personalised training and assistance, PV retailer benchmarking and individually tailored proposals, SunWiz will accelerate your solar business in the right direction. Unlock the wisdom of 10 years' experience assisting leading solar companies by visiting sunwiz.com.au. And of course, we'd like to thank all our sponsors um, who support this podcast, uh, Kennedy, SunWiz, and of course, Solar Analytics for their ongoing support. Um, keeps you and I in, um, you know, in the comfort to which we're accustomed to, um, Nigel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in the basement with headphones on. Yeah. Exactly. Sitting in the basement with headphones on. There you go. But it's a very classy basement, I've got to say. Um, <laughs> look, um, just some other news. Um, um, Marcus Lambert's leaving LG. Um, he's been quite an institution in in Australian solar industry and LG over the last um, oh, geez, at least a decade, I would have thought. But um, um, moving on. But um, we'll have to get him on and get his views on, on the world and uh, what's happening. Indeed, Marcus has always got a view on something. So he does. Uh, <laughs> bless him. He's been in the solar industry for a long time and 10 years at the helm um, of uh, of the LG solar uh, um, division in Australia. So, yeah, he'd be an interesting guy to, to talk to, and I'd, I'd love to know what he's got up his sleeve coming next. But, um, yeah, done a great job uh, elevating the LG brand and bu- building a, a, a big network out there of, of really premium dealers with a premium brand product. So, you know, um, sorry to, uh, I hope he doesn't leave the industry. Hope not. No, we'll, we'll find out. We'll, we'll, we're going to try and get him on this podcast um, in the next episode, I think. So um, we'll be able to tell you exactly what's getting on. Should we do that, Nigel? What do you reckon? Excellent do, do we extend an invitation? Idea. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. You can slap me around the chops later on if that's not a good idea, but I'm sure it is. Um, <laughs> Nigel, take it away. What else is, what else is on the menu today? Well, I wanted to I wanted to give a shout out in terms of some good solar news or, or just good news in general. I, I just want to give a shout out to all the women who marched in uh, on Monday, calling for an end of violence against women and the entrenched misogyny in Australian culture that we've seen in the news so much lately. Um, particularly in our own House of Parliament, um, you know, I'm 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 really lucky. I'm surrounded by a huge number of incredibly strong, intelligent, caring resilient women in fact you know this podcast wouldn't even happen if it wasn't for an incredibly strong intelligent caring and resilient woman god bless you Anne, uh who who um you know does a wonderful job of making us sound far better than we actually are in in real in real life so you know i just want to give a shout out to them there's also i also want to give a shout out to um we've been recalcitrant uh, recalcitrant in this the australian women in solar energy group wise um, and and there is a, there are a huge number of women in our industry. Not enough, of course. Uh, we're very male dominated and very male biased. But there's um, a bunch of ladies out there doing awesome work and really trying to elevate um, uh, more women into our industry. Um, you know, I just wanted to acknowledge that you know, as a 54 year old. Uh, male who grew up in the 80s you know i don't always get things right i'm a bit crap at some of that stuff but the women around us and the women in the world need to be safer and treated with greater respect and um i think it starts with uh with us blokes who need to stand up and help make this change so big shout out to all the women in the solar industry we acknowledged a pioneer last week want to acknowledge everyone else and um and the fact that we need to do more 
Well, look, that's exactly right. And it's um, it's just really sort of um, um, men taking ownership of their own actions rather than sort of trying to sort of um, deflect the blame elsewhere. And um, you talked about the women in the industry. I mean, it's really one of the things that I find really quite fascinating is all the senior positions um, in the energy industry, which are now held. You just wouldn't have to go back many decades or a decade or two to find it was just basically old middle-aged um, male engineers. Mm. And that wouldn't have got us very far in the current transition that we're seeking now. So I think the sort of new ideas and the women who are in place there now, uh, we don't have to agree with them all, but I just think that they're sort of... Um, their um, openness to new ideas, their um, interest in sort of discussing things and, um, and 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 encouraging all that sort of thing. I think that's actually been a big help in sort of the transition that we're now undergoing. So um, yeah. um, I just don't think it would have um, it would have happened with um, some of the old grey silverbacks, as um, as one person once <laughs> described them as, um, still being in place. But um, no, that's pretty good. Yeah, here's to the ladies. Okay, Nigel, what's next? Um, well, let's jump down to some crap solar because there's been some stuff going on that's uh, been interesting. Uh, we actually, solar industry made the news uh, quite prolifically, actually. Uh, um, I've titled this one, Get Some Tie Downs, Bro, uh, because there was some horrible footage <laughs> of solar panels flying out of a, out of a trailer um, going down a freeway in Brisbane, um, there was a, um, a dash cam on a, on, a, on a vehicle that was following this trailer. Uh, one panel flew past the, the four-wheel drive and there were ex- some expletives and the second panel hit it on the, um, on the front quarter panel um, and, and, you know, ricocheted down the road. The guys in the trailer were oblivious. They didn't even realise the panels were flying out. I haven't tied down who it is yet, Giles. I've been digging around hoping that someone was going to admit it, but... Um, uh, that hasn't happened yet, but you know, in all seriousness, it was extremely lucky that no one was killed or or, or, or injured. Um, it was horrible to see, and it really highlighted that you know, um, guys, girls, when you're transporting your panels, uh, make sure they're they're tied down well, please. Well, yeah, because people might sort of think, oh, well, they're heavy enough; they're not going to blow away. But um, I had a similar experience going down the Great Western Highway, um, coming down from the Blue Mountains, and my then recently or newly purchased Tesla. And I was just—I think I was in. There's about three or four lanes there um, at some stage, and I was in the outside lane, and I just look up, and there's this windscreen flying through the air, and I'm just going, "Wow!" Just, you know, it's sort of because it wasn't coming at me. I didn't sort of have to sort of suddenly take evasive action. It was actually sort of, you know, it landed sort of like just in front of me in the lane next to me, and kind of shattered in a lot of bits, and I've got a couple of marks in the car from the broken glass. Christ! And I'm just going. Was that a windscreen just flying through the air? And it must have just come out of the back of someone's. I actually kind of sped up and just tried to work out who it might have come out of. I don't know whether it was like the back window that just popped out from somewhere or whether it was a windscreen that was sitting in the back of the ute, but it was the most bizarre and scary and potentially incredibly dangerous thing that, um, yeah, extraordinary. Accidents happen. Things do. Things do blow out and up in the air and land on top of other other things. They do. And, and, you know, know, it's just this is – how tragedies happen, Giles, and, it, and it's so important to just take 30 seconds or 60 seconds and just go, you know what, put a strap on it, uh, be a little bit more careful, um, take 60 seconds, and you could save someone's life. So that's a message there. Uh, fortunately, no one was uh, was injured. Um, the, other, the other sort of bad news, although it's not necessarily bad news, but, you know, there is um, a lot of talk in the industry about solar panel price rises. We've got a combination of supply constraints being driven by, you know, the difficulties um, 
around the world because of COVID-19 that are, you know, disrupting industry. Um, and a combination of that and high demand uh, have caused raw material prices to go up. And in fact, in some cases, uh, I read a quote uh, where um, raw materials have gone up by almost 14% compared to last year. Now, that doesn't mean solar panels are going to go up by 14%, but it does mean that the supply chain is under enormous pressure. Um, now, it's eased a little bit, but I'm seeing uh, commentary from a number of wholesalers around the country, particularly saying, we're going to have to be careful here and, you know, um, be aware that between foreign exchange and, and, you know, these price pressures and supply constraints prices may actually rise on solar panels a little bit. Um, so we'll have to see. Uh, great quote from uh, one of the indexes out there who tracks um, commodity PV, raw material prices, PV exchange, who said, there is simply not enough modules left on the market that can be delivered by the deadline. Everything that does arrive in time is sold highest bidder at steep markups. So supply and demand is in full force right now, it seems, in the upstream PV market, Giles. Well, that's pretty interesting because the same sort of thing's happening in the battery storage market, at least as regards... Um, Indeed. Tesla. I mean, well, there's all sorts of things happening in the EV market. You've got semi semiconductor shortages um, and price pressures there, plus you've got the sort of the, um, the battery supply and they just simply just can't make enough battery um, cells to satisfy the sort of the burgeoning EV demand and um, I know Tesla's been rationing or having to make decisions about you know it's battery cells it can produce where's it going to go does it go to does it go to um, does it go to China well they're different actually batteries in, in their China production thing but um, in America does it go to the mega packs does it go to the uh, power walls um, mm. I, I read I read something today that said you couldn't get a power wall unless you bought a solar system along with it well there you go well, that's interesting yeah, yeah. so hmm. yeah Who'd be imposing that one? That's um, is that a solar installer type thing? Because um, I, don't I heard it was imposed by Tesla. Uh, do the Tesla sell solar systems in Australia? Have we got a scoop no, here? No, in, in the US. It was oh, in the US. In the US. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that might well be the case. That might well yeah. be the case. Yes. And yeah. even some talk about another Powerwall version coming out sometime too. Um, you know, Powerwall three yeah. maybe. Powerwall three. Powerwall three. Ah. Interesting. Interesting. Heard it, heard it here first in, um, in Solar Insiders, but um, um, I've got no other details. I've just had a bit of gossip I heard somewhere, but um, anyway. <laughs> Speaking of gossip, can we get to electric motorbikes? Because I got some gossip. Oh, you got electric motorbikes. Before we do that, have we, have, have, have we kind of tied it off from the whole solar thing yet? Um, I just sort of, well, I want to mention one more thing because it's another story that's, um, that's been really popular this week, and that's about. Oh, really? um, about large. Oh, no, I'm going to make. I'm going to mention two things actually. I'm going to go on a bit of a roll. Um, one is this um, issue I raised um, an episode or two ago about some of the things at the large-scale solar farms happening around the place with the treatment of subcontractors. So Davis Contracting, which is one of the leading and um, most respected contractors, has gone into administration and now receivership. And um, that's a bad thing. Now, there's a dispute over who owes who about what money from what solar farm and things like that. But mm. as some of the subcontractors who are still out of money, out of pocket, um, are lamenting this, are saying, well, you guys, you know, this is unbelievable. You're sort of saying I haven't been paid and you haven't been paid in this thing and we're just out of the money. We've done the work. We've dug, dug the trenches. We've put in the – done this, done that. And we're not being paid. And this is a really bad look for the solar industry, as, as, as someone said the other day. So Really, um, really yeah. bad. I read your story on that. It was uh, substantial sums of money 
for you know small medium-sized regional businesses this is crippling stuff well the solar industry's got to be a little bit careful here because it's going into regional areas it's coming up with these big projects and they're getting bigger so it's you know 300 megawatts 200 megawatts that's 200 million dollars 300 million dollars they're going in there promising all this local work and these contractors with all the, all these local businesses and in some instances, I mean, most of them should be fine, but in some instances, and there's enough of them, um, they're screwing the locals over because they're just not paying their bills. They're being, it's late and it's tardy and um, it's got to stop. I don't know how it stops, but um, I think maybe some of the owners and the developers of these projects are going to take more ownership and not just simply say, as some of them have been saying recently, oh, well, that's the contractor's thing. You know, we hire the contractor and it's their business and they've got to sort it out. No. It's your reputational damage. It's your project. You take responsibility for it. And if things are not going right, then you intervene and you sort it out. And um, I'm sure you've got lawyers because you're multi-billion dollars international firm. So do it. Um, there you go. And another one um, of interest is um, good news on large-scale solar. We've seen some of the solar farms. We've talked about some of their inverter issues and the uh, oscillation issues um, in the, what's called the West Murray 5, which you know had to go through a whole bunch of sort of tuning measures before they got their permission to go back to full output. Same sort of thing happened up in North Queensland to, sell, to send um, to deal with um, system strength issues. Now, what some solar farms have been told to do in the last couple of years is to install these really big synchronous condensers, the sort of 50-year-old technology, basically mm. sort of lumbering spinning machines and the basic, you know, this, well, let's have a spinning machine just to sort of give system strength. And what they've found out, which is really interesting, by fine-tuning the inverters, and this is all done by SMA because they were common to all four of these solar farms, the Hayman, which Sunday, oh, I can't remember the other two, but um, you know, those four, they're all sort of kind of related to each other. Um, they've tuned those inverters and they've actually solved that particular problem, which is something that people didn't realize could be done. Um, both technically, practically, it. and within the rules, and it just goes to show. It just it, look, it's another, it's another element to this story about we're transitioning, we're finding new ways and smarter ways of doing things, and like the smarts and the software, like your company's speciality, is kind of like taking all this other sort of static technology, you know, like um, solar panels and and wind and, and and wind turbines, and just making them like really dynamic parts of the grid. So that's pretty interesting. I love it. I love it. Um, you know, uh, seeing the transition of inverter from just being a box of electronics that hangs on the wall and, you know, converts energy to actually being a dynamic and clever part of the electricity network, you know, an intrinsic part of the electricity network that can be uh, dynamically controlled and orchestrated and, and can rectify issues on the grid it's so wonderful. You know, it's, it's really the next evolution of, you know, the grid, which was really designed a hundred years ago with this, you know, very archaic sort of, you know, um, um, philosophy behind it. It's finally moving into the 21st century. So good on SMA. Um, and, and, you know, um, companies, uh, like ours and others, uh, solar analytics and others who are out there taking the ones and zeros and then doing smart stuff with them to go, well, we can, we can now feed you with the data to make those decisions. And, um, yeah, it's really cool. Really cool. It is pretty cool. Now your electric motorcycle, Nigel, tell us all about it. Well, I'm not going to tell you all about it. I'm just going because there's a big article that's been ranking quite nicely on your website. So if you want to read all the details, you can read them there. But I just want to say after two years, my zero is finally, finally back on the road. Uh, I, um, you know, jumped in my ute and hurtled 
Hurtled nothing, short, <laughs> nothing short of hurtled up the highway uh, to get the thing loaded up. Uh, had a quick test run and went, yep, it works, and brought it back home. Um, you know, I ducked out to get some milk yesterday from the shop that's about uh, 500 metres up the road. It took me 90 minutes to get home because <laughs> now that I've got an electric motorbike, I, I kind of went, what if, no, it didn't go flat at all. I went, what if I just took the long way? What if I ducked through the national park on the way to get the milk? I wonder if anyone would notice because it's a beautiful afternoon and I can just enjoy all the thrills of motorcycling on my uh, and and electric motorcycling at that. So you know, it is taking me a while to get home with the milk or anything else that needs to be got home with at the moment. But uh, full article there is there um, uh, to help understand what went wrong. The short version um, um, is that you know, really, what ended up happening with my zero is that um, you know, I sucked in a lump of tar that got stuck in the pulley that caused a shock to go through the motor. This is, this is the hypothesis anyway. Um, it caused a shock to go through the motor and caused an error in, in, a, in a little um, motor position sensor board in the motor that caused an error to propagate into the controller that got stuck in the firmware that then got stuck in the BMS. And there was this sort of cascade. It was like, you know, when you do a, uh, maintenance cleanup on your computer and, you, and it says, oh, you've got a bad sector. It was kind of like I had bad sectors. And, um, you know, the reality is my bike, it's it's kind of like eight, nine-year-old tech now. I mean, the, the bike itself is seven years old. So all the development that was done to get the bike developed and onto the road would have happened two or three years before. So, you know, it's, it's, it's almost a decade old, which is remarkable in itself. Um, and you know, being a motor vehicle, you can't just reflash the firmware. You can, and then user can't do that. That doesn't make sense. It's not going to happen in any vehicle. So it took quite a while to sort out. Um, quite a while, quite a two years of my life without a motorcycle, which just makes me cry. But I'm so happy now. Uh, I'm massively, massively, massively indebted to Zero Motorcycles, who, you know, finally succumbed, shall we say, to my persistence and whining and groaning and cajoling and demands for you know support uh and ultimately they were uh, terrifically supportive which is wonderful and i also want to give a big shout out to a mofo who i often mentioned who were also equally um persistent and and you know brett and his team just went we want to get this we want to work out what went wrong and get it going because you know it's a case study for us so uh i am super excited my zero is back on the road that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And I've got to say, um, your story just went off um, last week, um, which, which was fantastic. It just goes to show that people just love these sort of, you know, this is what I did um, with my electric car or electric bike or my solar system type story. Um, they're really, really um, popular. So, um, um, That's good. That's yeah. Good. That's nice to yeah. hear. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think especially when it comes to, because electric motorcycles are a little bit unusual, there's, you know, there's only a hundred or so of us on the road here. And, and, you know, my tech is fairly old. And so, you know, people are naturally nervous about the tech. And so, you know, you know, following the timeline of my horrendous tale over the last few years is something that I think people are interested in. But, but, you know, what, what the other part of it that is really interesting is, you know, leaping forward when I pick my bike up, uh, the guys at Elmofo are now building um, electric motocross bikes. So they get a, a standard Honda or Yamaha motocross bike and they slap a kit in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're talking about, you know, maybe six or 7,000 bucks for this kit, which let me tell you, having spent the last two years rebuilding a petrol-powered bike as a project, a vintage petrol-powered bike, six or 7,000 bucks for an electric motor kit is not far off what it will cost you to restore a conventional ice 
engine. And luckily, my wife doesn't listen to this show because uh, I'd be admitting how much I spent on my restoration. But but suffice to say, uh, I actually got to ride one of these bikes, and um, I, it was you know bewilderingly fast. And um, it's awesome to see how far the tech has gone. Yeah, just as one example, the controller that's in this bike that uh, the guys in El Mofo are building is about a quarter of the size and weight and bulk of the controller that is in my bike and is delivering almost the same amount of power. Um, and, and this thing, you know, these, these dirt bikes they're building are for a specific purpose, a recreational bike, but they were just blisteringly fast off the line, enormous fun. And so it's great to see how far the tech has come. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I've got more. You got more? Off you go. I, I popped your story. I know you haven't even read it because you've been so busy, you know, um, uh, doing all your stuff. But um, I want to give another shout out to, to, you know, Giles. Here's a quiz: What do aging solar dudes do when they've retired? Um, I don't know. Count their electrons. Count their kilowatt hours. Look at the No, no um... you know what they do? They go into the shed and they tinker. And they build, they go back to their roots because they started by tinkering with solar, right? There was no support. There was very little, you know, no manufacturers. People made this stuff themselves, right? They worked out what's the problem I've got to solve. Can I use my electronic skills? Can I use my electrical skills to overcome this problem? And that's how they, that was their foundation in solar 20, 30 years ago. And, um, you know, now it's become simple and commoditized and you know there's lots of support and it's it's a little less exciting for some of those guys so when they retire what do they do they look naturally for the thing that is back in that same space like solar was for in 20 or 30 years ago they look at each other and they say what am i passionate about what's exciting where can i innovate where's there a problem that hasn't been solved that no one knows what to do with and the answer of course is electric motorbikes. And so <laughs> they build, it all comes back to electric motorbikes and they build electric motorbikes and a huge shout out to the team. Uh, Stuart uh, Jamison put together. He's an old uh, aging solar guy. No offense, Stuart. Um, built himself an electric motorbike a few years ago. There's going to be a story coming, I hope, with some wonderful photos from him taking it out to Lake Gedna uh, in South Australia, which when the weather's good, they can go out and do land speed record attempts like Bonneville. And, wow. uh, and they took this bike out there and uh, the weather was reasonably kind to them. They had some technical problems, but uh, full story on the Electro Manx coming soon. And, you know, big shout out to all the um, guys and girls uh, in, in sheds, um, innovating all over again and solving problems and, you know, moving us forward. So great little story there from Australian Innovations. That's cracking one. I look forward to reading that. Um, and talking about, um, yes, solving problems, um, Harley Davidson's had another fire when it's live. Is it, is it another fire with its live wire? Is that what? Um, first one. First, first one. one. Okay. First one that's made the public arena anyway. And, you know, they've you know, electric vehicles do catch fire from time to time. Things go wrong. It's no different mm -hmm. to petrol-powered vehicles or uh, any other vehicles, so it's nothing to panic about. But uh, this one was caught in all its glory uh on on video at bike week 2021 so quite recent um what was quite interesting to me was actually to watch the fireys turn up and the video is available online all over the place but you can see the fireys turn up and they did two things that really interested me was one is they didn't rush 
they they took their time. There was smoke coming out of the bike, so obviously you know the battery was you know um, in in a state of thermal runaway for some reason that I'm sure we'll learn more about. But um, two things really struck me. Number one, they used the tank uh, design. Um, the tank. Let me say this again. The tank. The, the faux tank, it's just a cover, it's a plastic cover that sits over the top of the electronics and gives you somewhere to squeeze with your knees, um, is deliberately designed so that you can put... You've got to squeeze something, don't you? So there's there's no other alternative. You've got, to, you've got to have a faux tank. You do. When you're cranked over in a corner, you tuck your knee into the tank and you kind of, you know, you've got to have something to hang on to with, so you don't fall off the side. So you need a tank. So can you can that be like a you know sort of new sort of you know um, bikey's handbag type thing, or like a little sort of you know a, a travel thing? You can, they can put their toothbrush and their toothpaste in there and stuff like that. I mean, they do brush their teeth, don't they? <laughs> of course they do. Duros are renowned for it. We've got a thing called a funk. A funk. Uh, a funk, which is a front uh, a front. Uh, trunk. Uh, oh, I've got a frunk. You've got, a, got frunk. a frunk. Yeah. I'm telling you, zeros away ahead of the the game. We've had a frunk for ages, mate. So yeah, I went down to the to the news age uh, to the to the post office today with my uh, with my stuff in my frunk, and then grabbed some shopping and shoved it in the frunk. So yeah, bikes. that's where the um, that's where the milk that's where the bottle of milk went. That's right. That's right. That's where the milk going. Yep. So anyway, I mean, the nice thing about what Harley have done, they haven't built a frunk on their tank, but what they have done is they've designed it so that it's really easy. In an emergency situation, there's a place for a first responder to shove their hand onto that frunk and rip it off. And what that then provides access to is the cut point. Uh, the cut point is a, a, a common thing in all modern electric vehicles where it's a speci- specially marked, designated and registered point where you can isolate the system in the event of such an, uh, an emergency. So it was really interesting watching the video, watching the technical guys from the fire service determine where was the cut point, how do we access it, how do we get this in. So they weren't, they weren't it wasn't out of control, they, they calmly collectively, um, you know, um, use the features of the bike uh, to render it safe. Um, um, so, you know, bad luck, Harley. Um, you know, it's inevitable that all electric vehicles will, you know, no, nothing is 100% perfect. So we will have fires. Um, but to see the safety mechanisms in action was great and uh, can't wait to find out what went wrong and, and, and learn more about, um, you know, how they can improve things in the future that's all that's planning on electric bikes but that's uh that's all i've got this week well look that's not bad mate that's not bad and look i'm um, just a couple of things to catch up on electric vehicles um a couple of bits, bits of good news just a bit of gossip for those people interested kia are finally bringing their um enero in and also their new um suv um that's going to be coming in i think well the enero later this year and then their new one is going to be coming was the first quarter of next year, so that's good because Kia have kept their electric vehicles out of Australia up till now because of their lack of um, any sort of supportive policy. But they think that now's the time, so that's a good sign. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about this new Hyundai, the Ionic Five, which was just released. Um, there is a bit of a model going around at the moment in Australia. We have to have a closer look at it sometime soon. But what I really find fascinating is that it's got like an exterior port where you can actually just it just sits there and you can just sort of plug stuff in and use it like use the battery for mm. whatever you want. So you go camping for your power tools. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose for your house, if um you know if it goes out and the car's sitting in the driveway, just run an extension cord out there and um 
get the lights in the fridge going. So um, Vita G. I love Vita G. Yeah, cool. well, this is sort of not sort of the classic Vita G as the way that people might have intended to it with all the smart controls and stuff like that. It's just simply this 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 um this um it's power, power supply. It's just a power supply. Yeah, so there you go. So um, I think that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, mate, I think we've done our we've done our time. Um, you know, we'd be um, better stop now before we have sort of thermal runaway of our own. And um, <laughs> time to thank our sponsors once again: Clenergy, Sunwiz, and Solar Analytics. Thanks to all the people who um, listen to our podcast, and please sort of um, recommend it to your friends and acquaintances, and um, put a review up on your favourite podcast platform, and preferably Apple, for instance. And uh, Nigel will be back again in a fortnight. Can't wait, mate. Good on you, mate. Thank you very much. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clanergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clanergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clanergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's new partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by their world-leading solar software platform. With pro setup, training and assistance, run your business at maximum velocity. Visit sunwiz.com.au. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics, developers of smart solar software you can trust for homes, businesses and solar retailers right here in Australia. Get more from your solar. Visit solaranalytics.com.au.